0: Give me a break, people. I'll do a quick show about Ukraine. Holy shit. Hello, everybody. I am Andrew for America. This is the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. Russia has declared war on Ukraine and... Everybody's asking me, what the fuck? So here we go. Here's a little history lesson. This is from, I don't know how to pronounce this guy's name, man. But he gives a fantastic chronology. Oh, I've been drinking, by the way. So this is probably the most drunk I've ever been doing a podcast, actually. So this is going to be fun. This is from Sizwe, S-I-Z-W-E, Sika Musi, S-I-K-A, capital M, U-S-I. His Twitter handle is capital S-I-Z-W-E, capital L-O. Here's a summary of what's happening in Ukraine and Russia. Thread. I'm sorry, people, this is the most research I could do in a fast period of time. I'm getting blown up about this shit. Andrew, for America, tell us what's happening in Ukraine. Here we go. In 2010, Ukraine elected Viktor Yakunovich Yakunovich, as president. The West, including the United States and the European, European Union, were not happy with these events as they saw the new president as too aligned to Russia. 2010. Okay. Before Yakunovich's election, Ukraine had a free trade deal in the pipeline with the EU. But in 2013, Yakunovich did a 180 and refused to sign the deal, favoring closer ties with Russia. In November 2013, led by Assistant Secretary of State for the European and Eurasian Affairs, Victoria Nuland, the U.S. fomented a color revolution, also known as a Euro Maiden which led to a coup in Ukraine. Yakunovich was overthrown. Leaders in eastern Ukraine declared allegiance to Yakunovich. This led to anti-government protests in February in 2014 and a referendum in Crimea where 97% of respondents voted to return Crimea to Russia. Russia annexed Crimea from Ukraine in March of 2014. Meanwhile, meanwhile, the new post-coup Ukrainian government proposed a bill to remove Russian as an official language. Russian speakers in East Ukraine were angered about this, saying ethnic Russians were in imminent danger. In early 2014, Russia started sending support to Russians in the eastern regions of Ukraine, Ukraine, uh, in Donetsk, Kharkiv, Zaporizhia, and Odessa, who now demanded independence from Ukraine. In April of 2014, the mainly Russian-speaking speaking regions of Donetsk and Luhansk broke away from Ukraine and proclaimed themselves as separate republics. Republics. Also in early 2014, Russia started performing military exercises in the eastern Ukrainian border just as NATO was doing the same in Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia, who share borders with Russia in September of 2014 Ukraine and Russia signed ceasefire agreements in Minsk Belarus and to uh, Minsk and Belarus and to end hostilities in eastern Ukraine in March 2021 President Vladimir Putin, ordered the Russian military to mobilize troops near its border with Ukraine and in Crimea. In November, Russia deployed vessels to the Black Sea to quote-unquote observe United States warships. Putin said the U.S. ships were quote, a serious challenge, unquote. And you're goddamn right about that, Vladimir Putin. The sun never sets on the United States Navy. Get it through your head. The Russian Ministry of Defense said, The real goal behind the U.S. activities in the Black Sea region is exploring the theater of operations in case Kiev attempts to settle the conflict in the Southeast ...by force, unquote. From mid-January of 2022... ...the United States started announcing that Russia would invade Ukraine... ...stating that an attack could begin before the conclusion of the 2022... ...Winter Olympics in Beijing in February. Yeah, this is where history becomes reality my fellow Americans. In January of 2022, NATO began providing weapons, including anti-armor missiles and other U.S.-made weapons to Ukraine. On 22 January, the U.S. delivered 90,000 kilograms of lethal weapons to Ukraine, whatever the fuck that means. The Netherlands and Spain also deployed forces to the region in support of NATO. In February, the U.S. sent soldiers to Germany and Poland to boost NATO's presence in Europe, along with F-15 fighter jets to Romania. Britain also deployed soldiers, warships, and jets to Eastern Europe. On 21 February, the leaders of the self-proclaimed Donetsk and Luhansk people's republics requested Putin obviously to obviously recognize the republic's independence. Putin agreed and signed Russia's recognition of the republic's and ordered troops to be sent there. On 22 February, Boris Johnson announced sanctions on Russian banks and individuals. Germany announced suspending the certification process of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline that Biden approved. Remember? and the uh, European Union foreign ministers blacklisted all Russians who voted in favor of the recognition of the breakaway regions.
1: Hmm.
0: On 24 February 2022, President Putin announced the beginning of a special military operation in the Donbass region. Thus, is where we are right now. And if you want some more information about this kind of stuff that's going on right now, go check out the Scott Horton Show. Um, I think Scott Horton actually was just on uh, Peter Quinones' show, Free Man Behind the Wall, uh, talking about this very stuff. Um, So... Here's another thing I wanted to show, I wanted to talk about, not show you, sorry. Um, here we go. Just before 6 a.m. in Russia, President Putin announced a special military operation in Ukraine. Putin warned other countries that make any attempt to interfere with the Russian action, any attempt by other countries to interfere with the Russian action would lead to, quote, Consequences they have never seen, unquote, according to a Reuters translation of the speech he gave. More than 150,000 Russian troops were in combat ready position on Wednesday. According to Sky News, Russia had assembled up to 190,000 forces, personnel, uh, including ground, sea, and air around Ukraine, armed with fast jets, artillery, warships, and tanks. That is a hell of a show of force people that is fighting words uh i don't know i mean you're 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 hearing a lot of people say oh you know this is going to be the beginning of world war three how come everything all the major wars always start in this region of the world yeah that's true there's a lot going on in this region of the world and there has been for many 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 years all the way back to the Khazars and the ba- uh, Babylonian Talmudists, the Canaanites, the Phoenicians. Lots going on in this region of the world, people. And this uh, is a video from The Independent. Or I'm sorry, this is not an, a video from The Independent. This is... A recent report from The Independent. Why has Russia uh, invaded Ukraine? I'm sorry. (laughs) Russia has finally launched its long-feared full-scale invasion of Ukraine. How did this crisis start? Russia annexed Ukraine's Crimean Peninsula in 2014 after the country's Moscow-friendly president, Viktor Yanukovych, 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 uh, was driven from power by mass protests. We've been over that. Weeks later, Russia threw its weight behind a separatist insurgency that broke out in Ukraine's east, which eventually saw the pro-Russian rebels declared the DPR and LPR independent states. We've just been over that. More than 14,000 people have died in the fighting that has been ongoing throughout the intervening years. 2015 Peace Accord, the minsk II agreement, was brokered by France and Germany to help end the large-scale battles. Russia has accused Ukraine of breaching minsk II and has criticized the West for failing to encourage Ukrainian compliance. And I think the reason why is because they got some of their own stuff going on in that area of the world. And I'll get to that here in a second. With Mr. Putin's announcement of his special military operation and subsequent ground reports of explosions and gunfire resounding across Ukraine, the worst-case scenario has now been realized, and that was from The Independent. Now, this is something that somebody else uh, I follow was talking about. Let me find it here. Okay, so this is from someone named Melissa Tate. Uh, The Twitter handle is at the right Melissa. And she says, my theory was right. Biden and his handlers are trying to get us into a war with nuclear Russia over Ukraine's border. While ignoring our border being invaded here at home, So that they can blame the impending economic collapse they engineered on Russia and Ukraine. Don't let them get away with it. Hmm, that's an interesting take. Maybe. Maybe that's what's going on. Uh, They definitely took the media coverage off of Canada, didn't they? So keep your eye on Canada and your ears on what's going on in Canada. Because now that the media attention is going to be 24-7 Ukraine and Russia, that's when a lot of stuff's going to go down that probably isn't going to get coverage up north in Canada. So keep paying attention to the Canadian story, people. They may be distracting you for a reason. CBS News reported the U.S. economy has been hit with in- increased gas prices, inflation, and supply chain issues due to the Ukraine crisis. So see, the media is already trying to blame it on Ukraine and Russia and not on the lockdowns and the COVID response and the World Economic Forum and Bill Gates and the big club. Yada, yada, yada. Come on, people. Let's get real here. America went from not only being energy independent under Trump but was an energy exporter for the first time in history. Biden's has been waging war on American energy since day one in office. Now he wants to blame Russia? Nope. So that was from Melissa Tate as well. And so that's a take. I'm not saying I completely agree with that take. I'm just saying that's an interesting take on the situation. And then this is another interesting take. This is from someone named Clandestine, at War Clandestine on Twitter, I believe. Listen to this. This person said, I think I may be onto something about Ukraine. Zelensky said, the Russians were firing at military installations. I mean, how broad is a term? How broad of a term is that, right? I am seeing speculation that could include U.S. installed biolabs. At first I was like, no way. But then I started digging. War Clandestine goes on to say, First I checked if the United States even has biolabs in Ukraine. Turns out, we do. And in classic United States fashion, it's marketed as defense. The Biological Threat Reduction Program in Ukraine is what it's called. Studying the, quote, most dangerous viruses in the world, unquote, on its border with Russia. Hmm. And if you want proof of this, go to UA.USEmbassy.gov, and you can read all about the Biological Threat Reduction Program biological threat reduction program. Very interesting. Okay, so we are studying the world's most deadly pathogens at Russia's border, just like we are in China, in Wuhan, right? It's just for defense, not that big of a deal, right? Apparently, wrong. I didn't know this until today, but russia has been accusing united states accusing the united states of creating bioweapons at their border and this is from brendan cole world report vladimir putin's advisor says the united states is developing biological weapons near russia putin's chief security advisor has said russia i'm sorry moscow has Good reason to believe the United States is developing biological weapons along the borders of Russia and China. Wow. So I don't know if any of that's true, people, but the plot is going to thicken in Ukraine. The plot is going to thicken in Canada. The plot might thicken In Taiwan and China, pretty soon, some people are speculating. Interesting times. Scary times to be alive. Is this validation of everything I've been talking about on this podcast? No, absolutely not. But it is an example. In a chronological string of examples. That one can seek out and discover and research and learn about the history of. So that you can come to your own conclusions. I'm not trying to tell you what to think. I'm not trying to tell you what to feel. I'm not trying to tell you what to believe. I'm just presenting you with information. I'm not taking a side. I am neither for or against. I just hope that this information can be woven into the grand tapestry of all of the subject matter that I've been talking about on this podcast since episode one. Stay tuned, my fellow Americans, to what's going on in Ukraine. Stay tuned to what's going on in Canada, China, Taiwan. And of course, as always, here in the United States of America. Let's move on. Oh, you know what? I just realized. I just realized I had the wrong microphone selected for a little while there. Sorry about that, people. Like I said, been <clears throat> like I said, but been drinking. Now let me give you guys a little bit of history. There's a book out there called Former People The Final Days of the Russian Aristocracy by Douglas Smith. An engrossing with richly detailed event and anecdote said Lise Schellinger of the New York Times. Let's read this together. Former People of the Final Days of the Russian Aristocracy by Douglas Smith 2012. Former People, The Final Days of the Russian Aristocracy by Douglas Smith is a magnificent work, chronicling in superb detail. What happened to the two million members of the Russian aristocracy as a result of the Russian Revolution? I have been interested in late czarist history for a very long time. I am still holding my trans-Siberian railroad bonds. (laughs) I love the great Russian writers. I pictured ex-Russian Counts, working as waiters in Paris or countesses living in style in the Italian Riviera on jewels smuggled out of the country. I knew the Tsar and his family were executed, of course. I knew Ruffington-Bossois had extensive contact with Prince Felix Yusupov, both before and after the revolution. After reading Former People, The Final Days of the Russian Aristocracy by Douglas Smith, I realized how superficial my understanding of this period was. Here are some of the things I learned from Former People, The Final Days of the Russian Aristocracy by Douglas Smith. I have always had a romantic admiration for the cause of the white Russians, fighting to defeat the communists, and then holding on to the dream of restoring the old regime while living in exile. I was deeply shocked, though I should have realized this, that those white Russians were extremely anti-Semitic. Hmm. And this, as they say, my fellow Americans, is where the plot thickens. They blamed the Jews for the revolution and undertook murderous programs in which thousands were hung. They butchered whole villages if they suspected the inhabitants were supportive of the communists. My admiration for the Russians, for the white Russians rather, is now over, says the author of this piece. Clearly, this book opened this person's eyes to a new reality. Clearly, this person experienced some cognitive dissonance, yet had the intellectual honesty and the courage and the disbelief, the discerning mind, the suspension of ego, to admit the reality. And the reality was that this person's admiration for the white Russians was now over. Why, you may ask? Here's why. I learned the Russian Revolution was very much supported by members of aristocratic families. Only aristocratic young men had the educational background to develop the ideological structure to support revolution. (laughs) Many aristocrats, as Smith details, felt the system of terrible inequality in Russia was completely immoral. Smith tells his story by following that What happened to members of two aristocratic families? We very much see them as fully realized people. The communists declared the two million people they classified as aristocracy as, quote, former people, unquote, stripping them of all of their rights. In order to live in a Russian city after the revolution, you needed a ration card. Former people were at first denied cards. In the big cities, most ate in government cafeterias and you needed a card to use these places. The struggle for food became paramount in the lives of people used to living in pampered luxury. Former people, the final days of the Russian aristocracy, explains how many, probably most, Former people met their deaths through execution, disease, killed in wars. A number were helped by serfs they once owned. (laughs) Serfs they once owned is where they went for help. Think about how upside down that society was turned. The communist government did not have nearly enough educated people to run the society they were trying to create. (laughs) How many times do I got to repeat myself about this shit, people? I'm not the only one saying this stuff. So many ex-aristocrats found government work. Many hid or denounced their past alliances. What emerges so powerfully in the former people, the final days of the Russian aristocracy, is the sheer will of the ex-aristocrats to survive survivors found ways to continue on with life. Couples married, babies were born. Many did leave Russia, but it was not an easy choice to make. Their love for their country and heritage was still very deep. Former People, The Final Days of the Russian Aristocracy by Douglas Smith is a marvelous book. Anyone into Russian history and culture will be very glad to have read this work. And I recommend that you guys go read that book. And, you know, the reason why I brought that book up is just as a reminder that these wars people... There are a million reasons behind them and the the reasons that you are getting told by your media is not always necessarily correct. When communism fell in Russia the aristocrats had to run just like what happened in Nazi Germany. The aristocrats of the Nazi Germany uh, government you know, Hitler's Nazis uh, were... You know, some of them came to the United States through Operation uh, Paperclip. Some of them probably fled to uh, Argentina and all over the place. They just had to blend in. You know, be chameleon-like, like I've said in a previous podcast. The big club, these people, these big wealthy families that pull the strings behind every conflict. And be watching for... for the controlled conflict. So now that you know a little bit bit about what's going on in Ukraine and Russia, you know, your brain probably goes, well, which side do I take? Do I take the uh, freedom-fighting rebels from the Republic that want to be part of Russia? Uh, Do I take their side? Uh, Or do I take the side of the Ukrainian government who doesn't want anything to do with Russia and want to be members of NATO and are allowing... Uh member countries to do biological weapons research on their borders, allegedly. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, am I on the Ukrainian side? Am I on the Russian side? Uh, do I support the people fighting for freedom to be part of Russia? Because it kind of makes you think, why would they want to be part of Russia and not Ukraine? There's got to be some reasons there, right? So before you go jump into conclusions and believe everything that you're being spoon-fed by the mainstream media, just keep in mind, if you do a little bit more digging, you might realize that you have located the puppets. And then if you dig a little bit more, you might just find the puppet masters pulling those strings. It's a tale as old as time Immemorial. Here is a tweet from Anya Parempil. Anya Parempil. At Anya Parampil is her handle. Ukraine's sovereignty ended in 2014 when the U.S. overthrew its democratically elected leader in an illegal coup and installed a puppet government. At least 13,000 people have died in fighting since then in a war fueled by United States weapons and allegedly neo Nazi militias. This war did not begin tonight, is what she just said. Wow, that's pretty powerful. And I wanted to read this to you as well. There's a book out there called Putin's Playbook. Russia's Secret Plan to Defeat... I don't know, the world? To defeat America, I'm sorry. Putin's Playbook. Russia's Secret Plan to Defeat America. Okay? Take a listen to this. This book seems quite relevant to the goings-on right now. Sounds alarmist, but rejection of quote-unquote Atlanticism, remember that, seems like the overarching theme in Eastern Europe right now. Atlanticism. Remember when I talked about that in a previous episode? Look it up. Strong anti-West sentiments and a potential Sino-Russian Islamist bloc of disgruntled nations that could include Turkey, Iran, and Pakistan aligned to make a stand against the West, the Quad, and the NATO countries. And somebody commented about this book. Clearly I'm in a book club, people. This person says they're all a part of the same IMF. So it's hardly a real war. I don't get how people can be so idiotic to believe war has been about nationalism for the past 200 years. It's central bankers playing both sides to make... A prophet. There's a story out there uh, by a guy named James Fell called Remember the Holodomor. Holodomor. As a Russian once again terrorizes Ukraine, we must remember the USSR's genocide of 4 million Ukrainians via purposeful and premeditated starvation in the early 1930s. Starvation was the weapon and Stalin was the wielder of that weapon. And that's basically all I have for you, my fellow Americans, on this current crisis, this invasion of Ukraine by Russia. Powerful players playing the games of empire, the true aristocrats, right? The big club just in fighting. Don't believe for one second that the members of the big club are all on the same team. Oh, no, 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 no. Rich people are fighting rich people. Powerful people are fighting powerful people. It's a Nietzschean will to power world that we are moving towards the theory and practice of oligarchical collectivism by emmanuel goldstein in orwell's 1984 war is peace freedom is slavery and ignorance is strength keep an eye on this story people who knows are we on the precipice of world war 3 was the deagle forecast accurate Are 230 million Americans about to meet their fate for one reason or another? We shall see as the 21st century here in the year 2022 marches on. People, this is going to be a short episode today. Let's wrap it up. Let's go get wasted, let's party a little bit, and let's play some punk rock. time to play some punk rock, but before I play some punk rock today, I kind of want to bring up something a little off topic, but I just saw this and I could not help myself. I had to talk about it. Remember in the last episode? <laughs> People, I'm, I'm kind of wasted right now, man. I'm telling you. I'm sorry. I'm drunk. I've been drinking. My voice is cracking. I might have smoked a little pot. I'm not sober. So bear with me, okay? Bear with me. Remember in the last episode I told you guys William Buckley was a Skull and Bones member and he founded the National Review? Well, guess what? Do you guys know who Gad Sad is? Dr. Gad Sad from Canada. He's awesome. You should go follow him on all of your everything platforms. He just shared a recent article from The National Review, founded by William Buckley, Skull and Bones member. Here's the headline. Get a load of this shit. Trudeau government moves to make expanded surveillance powers over financial transactions quote permanent. Unquote. A publication founded by a member of the CIA and the Skull and Bones Secret Society at Yale University, who interviewed countless important people over the years with his smug, snide, holier-than-thou attitude. His publication that he founded is telling you that Trudeau's government is moving to make expanded surveillance, surveillance, Keyword, surveillance powers over, quote, financial transactions. Financial transactions. Permanent. I know it's not about Ukraine, but I felt like I needed to share that. Because I just recently saw that and I almost threw up in my mouth a little bit. People, this song is the last song on my Old Band nonprofit's 2007 release. The Catalyst EP recorded by famed punk rock producer Ryan Green. And I'm going to play you uh, two versions of this song. And the reason why is because I'm not in love with the EP version. I kind of like my old version of it that we had on our 2006 demo. And you guys can be the judge. Let's do the Pepsi challenge with this song, okay? So I'm going to play you the Catalyst EP, Ryan Green version of this song. Which is good. Don't get me wrong, it's good. Oh, don't get me wrong. Ryan Green, genius. I'm not taking anything away from the guy. But then I'm going to play you our, our old demo version of this song. And you guys be the judge. Do you like Cabernet? Or do you like Pinot Noir? Do you like Chardonnay? Or do you like Sauvignon Blanc? You know what I'm saying? Do you like Coke or Pepsi? You guys be the judge, okay? Here we go. Here's my old band Nonprofits' final song on the Catalyst EP entitled New Beginnings. People, that was our EP version of the song New Beginnings from the Catalyst EP nonprofit release 20, 2007. And for all you musicians out there, this is going to be an exercise in what production can or cannot do to one of your songs. And again, I'm not saying one's better than the other. They're both fantastic. I just think I prefer this version that I'm about to play for you right now. This is the same song, New Beginnings. But this is from our 2006 demo that we released. And you'll notice that I sing this song in a much lower register. And the reason why is because for some reason, when I sing it in the lower register, I can just kind of get gnarlier with it. It doesn't seem so high and poppy. High and poppy can be good, don't get me wrong. Yeah, excuse me. Boy. I've been drinking IPAs all day and a little Grand Marnier. Yeah, so the uh, Russians declared war on Ukraine today, so I don't know, I started drinking. I don't know. Sue me, right? Here we go. This is the same song you just heard, New Beginnings, but sung a little bit lower and different production value. And this is from our demo. And this is the Pepsi challenge, you be the judge. Do you like the first version better? or the last version. Here we go!
1: The conscience catches me And I can never save myself All I wanted was someone who understood that's who I am Can I ever change? I've been running from the future Maybe running from my past But I can never save myself Tried to run, my guilty conscience catches me And I can never save myself All I wanted was someone who understood that's who I am Can I ever change? I've been running from the future, maybe running from my past But I can never save myself
0: song new beginnings by my old band non-profit that's it the catalyst ep 2007 release by my old band non-profit you have now heard every song on that ep throughout the course of the past six five six seven episodes i told you people i'm not good at math i think in the previous episode i said From the year 2007 to the year 2022 was 12 to 13 years. It's actually 15 years. (laughs) I'm not good at math, okay? People, let's pray for the Ukrainians. Let's hope Vladimir Putin isn't as big of an asshole as everyone says that he is. Let's be smarter than the divide and conquer agenda. Let's love our neighbors... As ourselves, let's strive to be bigger and better and badder than the person we were yesterday. Let's strive to be a part of something bigger than just ourselves. For you, for me, for all of us. Thank you for listening. I love you guys. Good night. We'll see you next time. This has been episode 86 of the Politics of Bug Rush podcast entitled On Ukraine. We'll see you next time.